well again. Am I on? I think I hit the button. Yes? All right. Great. Well, it is great to be back here in Aurora. I also just want to say I'm really honored to be here today on the return of the drum Sunday. <laughs> uh, I, I don't know that that has ever happened to me before, um, that I arrive, we're getting ready for prayer, and someone says, hey, the drums have returned. And I'm like, wow, that's great. So greetings from my wife, Catherine. Uh, and it is just, again, a, a wonderful privilege to be with you. So if you could turn with me to Acts chapter 9, and we are going to look this morning at, probably for most of us, a very familiar story, uh, a spectacular story about the conversion of Saul of Tarsus. And as I do, and I'll say more about this in a little bit, there is, I believe, some rich gospel rooted encouragement for us in this story this morning. And I'm just praying that God will strengthen all of us as we dig into his word. Now, as I thought about this passage, I found myself in Webster's New World Dictionary looking up the word surprise. Because as we'll see, when Saul encounters the risen Christ on the Damascus Road, he did not see it coming. And as I looked up the word surprise, Webster's New World Dictionary defines the word this way, to come upon suddenly or unexpectedly, to take unawares, to amaze or astonish. And I thought as we just prepare to get into God's Word today. When you think of the word surprise, what comes to your mind? And I think, too, there's probably two categories. When you think of the word surprise, is it something positive or is it something negative? Now, just by a show of hands, and don't worry, I'm not going to call you up here, though the use of the microphone, that's very tempting to have interactive audience time here. But on the negative side, how many of us have ever come out to our car in a parking lot and found a dent or scratch? Oh, yeah. How many have ever come home and discovered water coming out of a place that it shouldn't be coming out and have had the mess. Yes, amen, I can relate. How many, and this one happened to me recently, how many have come out to your car, turned the key, and the battery is dead? Yeah, and related to that, and this is actually the one that recently happened to me, have come out to your car and I, I still remember this in Home Depot's parking lot this summer. Come out to the car, and you start to back up, and you see that little tire lit up on the screen. And then a gentleman taps on my window, and he says, Hey, your right front tire is completely flat. Can you relate to that experience? And I had the joy at my age of putting on one of those wheelbarrow-like spares that I hadn't had to do in like 20 years, right? But on the positive side, how many of us have been surprised by, say, an unexpected birthday party? Has that happened? Sure. Or maybe 
an unplanned gift or bonus. How many can relate to that? Or maybe a friend just dropping by and bringing encouragement. How many have had that? Yeah, we had our doorbell rang about two weeks ago on a Saturday, 8.30 at night. And this lady for our church, there was a couple circumstances, but she just popped by and she hung out with Catherine and I and brought us rich encouragement. Such a blessing. Well, as I said before, as I dug into this passage, the word surprise just kept hitting me. Because today, we're going to be looking at some of the most, or maybe the most, surprising and unforeseen events in the, in the early history of the church. The conversion of Saul of Tarsus. And as we're going to see, this event, pivotal in the gospel going to us Gentiles, demonstrates to us the love of our sovereign God and the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And as I said earlier, though I realize this story is familiar probably to many of us, my prayer is the Lord will use these truths to provide for us some timely gospel-centered encouragement. See, my prayer is that as we read about what happened to Saul, we're going to be freshly amazed at our salvation in Christ. And be stirred, I pray, to serve the Lord with a renewed passion and zeal. So please read with me as I read Acts 9, 1 through 9. Again, Luke writing this under the inspiration of God. He says, But Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues of Damascus so that if he found any belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now, as he went on his way, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him. And falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting, but rise and, and enter the city and you will be told what we uh, we've told what you are to do. Now the men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the voice, but seeing no one. Saul rose from the ground and although his eyes were opened, he saw nothing. So they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And for three days he was without sight and neither ate nor drank. Please pray with me just for a moment. Father, thank you for your inspired, inerrant word. Thank you, Father, as the sovereign king, you know everything about every one of us in this room this morning. You know the trials and struggles and and fears that we've even come with here today, Lord. And I pray that you will help me now to communicate the truths of your word. And Lord, that you will strengthen each and every one of us to marvel at our salvation in you. And also, Lord, to be given fresh hope in whatever we're facing. And also to leave here today, Lord, with fresh zeal 
to give our lives away for your glory. So help me now, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen. Well, I've titled this message, The Conversion of Saul. Seems like that should be pretty obvious. But if I was going to give a different title, I'd call it The Most Unlikely Convert Ever. And I would summarize this text this way. Our sovereign Lord saves even the vilest of sinners and then uses them to bring him glory or to exalt his name. Let me say that again. Our sovereign Lord saves even the vilest of sinners and then amazingly uses them to bring him glory. So as you're going to see, I've broken this message into two parts. The sinful heart of Saul. That's kind of the heavy part of the message. And then the second point I'll be focusing on is the risen Christ's encounter with Saul. So the first point, the sinful heart of Saul. The second, the risen Christ's encounter with Saul. And as you'll see, as we get to that second point, there are three encouragements I hope to share with you that will make this passage even more applicable and encouraging in our lives. So let's start with the sinful heart of Saul. Now, as we come to this text in Acts 9, it's on the heels of Luke highlighting Philip. Remember the story of the Ethiopian eunuch, and, and you know, here he is reading the you know, passages from Isaiah, and Philip just happens, you know, in quotes, under the sovereignty of God. And we read this marvelous story, and now Luke brings us back into Saul. And he actually first in, introduced us to Saul back in Acts 7 when Stephen was stoned to death. And if you remember, Luke tells us that those who were actually stoning Stephen laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. And he then added uh, in that text or in that passage that Saul approved of this execution. And we're further told then that Saul was ravaging the church and entering house after house. He dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. Now, I don't know if you've ever seen the show. I don't, I don't think it's on TV anymore. America's Most Wanted, right? I had somebody years ago, they saw me. They said, you, you remind me of a guy I saw in America. I said, no, 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 no. It wasn't my twin brother, okay? No, but, but we can literally look at Saul. And as we're going to see more here in Acts 9, he was the church's public enemy number one. He would have been on if there were TV and all that. You know, the church's most, you know, person to avoid or the one who's most dangerous. It was Saul of Tarsus. And as Luke comes back in the, to bring us back on an update, if you will, of Saul, he's telling us here, just rereading a couple of the verses I read, he says that Saul was still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord. And he tells us he went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus so that if he found any belonging to the way, men or women, he could bring them to Jerusalem. 
So Saul is still breathing threats and murder against the church. It's almost like his passion against the church is growing. And in explaining this phrase, breathing threats and murder, R.C. Sproul said this. He said, the idea is that Saul was so passionately determined to carry on his persecution against the Christian community that he was like a wild beast that snorts before it attacks. This man was full of evil, sinful hatred. See, by this time, Saul had built this reputation for himself, threatening, imprisoning, condoning the murder of the disciples of the Lord, removing men and women from their families who were belonging to the way, meaning those who are on the true way of salvation or the true way of life in relation to God. And he's having them arrested, threatened, and even murdered. And even later on, after his conversion in Acts 26, Saul, in defending himself before King Agrippa, he says, you know, when these Christians were put to death, this is in Acts 26.10, when they were put to death, he said, I cast my vote against them. I punished them often in all the synagogues and tried to make them blaspheme. In other words, to publicly deny their faith. And in raging fury, Paul says, he said, in raging fury against them, I persecuted, him, persecuted them even to foreign cities. See, Damascus was 135 miles from Jerusalem. And back in those days, they didn't have Teslas, right? They didn't have SUVs. They walked or they rode maybe a donkey or what have you. So this is like a five to six day journey. Paul gets these letters from the high priest that basically says to the synagogues in Damascus, I have permission to haul Christians out of your synagogue and take them back to Jerusalem for arrest, uh, punishment, and so on. So this is the heart of Saul. Again, the heavy part of today's sermon. He believes he is serving God by rooting out blasphemy and purging God's enemies from the land. Let's face it. If there is ever a person that you would think would never become a Christian, it was Saul of Tarsus. Now, the reason, again, I wanted to start this sermon with, wow, we're really glad you came. Can you head back sooner? No, but the thing is, the reason I wanted to start here is to marvel at the power of the gospel and the love of Jesus, not only for Saul, but for us. We have to see the bad news of our sin. See, to marvel at the good news of our salvation, it's healthy to a certain degree to realize how lost Saul was and how lost we were. See, Saul, after his conversion, now the Apostle Paul, 
what he wrote to, to the Ephesian church not only describes him before Jesus saved him, but also describes us. Ephesians 2, I'm sure many of you are familiar with this. He says, and you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. See, we all, like Saul, were spiritually dead. Now, Saul may have taken it practically to a much greater extreme, but we, before Jesus came into our lives, were just as spiritually dead as he was. And like I said, I, I think it's healthy that we don't forget who we were before we encountered Christ. Not in some condemning, you know, uh, tearing ourselves down kind of way, but just to remind ourselves, I was dead, but now I'm alive. See, praise God. Though we all were spiritually dead like Saul, Christ didn't leave us there. He didn't leave Saul there. Because just a few verses later in Ephesians 2, and this verse, the older I get, the more it just blows my mind that after reading Mike Robel, you were dead in trespasses and sins. You were following the prince, the enemy of our souls, Satan, following the course of this world. And then we read in Ephesians 2, 4, but God, being rich in mercy, mercy meaning not giving us what we deserve because of the great love with which he loved us, Ephesians 2, 4, and 5, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together in Christ. By grace, you have been saved. So now the heavy parts behind us. Let's go to the second point here and marvel at not only what Christ did for Saul, but what Christ has done for us. So my second point, the risen Christ's encounter with Saul. Now check this out. You talk about a guy who has been and will be here totally blindsided by the love and mercy of God. It says at noontime, the passage tells us, he approaches Damascus. He's got his letters. He's had, shall we say, persecution success up to this point. Approaching Damascus, and the scriptures say, suddenly a light from heaven, this light that is the glory of God radiating brighter than the sun, shines around him. Now imagine, he's coming into Damascus. Boom! This light from heaven blinds him. And without warning, he is blinded by a brilliant light, as I said, from heaven. The brightness of God's glory. A light even brighter than the noonday sun. And Paul would later say to the Corinthians, see, in the midst of this light, 
He sees the risen Christ. Paul told the Corinthians, I've seen Jesus our Lord as one untimely born. But not only does he see the light, he hears the voice of the risen Christ. And as he falls to the ground, Jesus speaks to him and says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And Saul responds, I can only imagine, probably shaking on the ground, who are you, Lord? And then again, just repeating this for emphasis, he says, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. Rise, enter the city, and you'll be told what, what you are to do. So, so what happened here? Saul's on a mission to Damascus to persecute the church. He's enveloped in this bright light from heaven. He hears the voice of Christ. See, what's happened here is with all his evil intentions and passions, he has encountered the living God. And what's so ironic and incredible here is that as Saul encounters Jesus, he encounters Jesus while he's on his way to arrest and possibly kill the disciples of Jesus. See, as Saul gets ready to implement his plan of persecution in Damascus, Jesus, so check this out. Paul's ready to implement his persecution plan in Damascus, but Jesus implements his plan to rescue Saul. That, friends, is amazing love. See, amid all of Saul's sinfulness and murderous plans, our sovereign Lord has intersected his life and revealed himself to him. As Saul is breathing out threats, the wild beast, Jesus is initiating unstoppable grace. Incredibly, salvation has come to the vilest of sinners. Amazing. Amazing. Now, some of us may be thinking, hey, it'd be really cool if I got to see the risen Christ. Maybe thinking, well, your conversion, your salvation is somehow a little less special or a little less spectacular because I didn't get knocked to the ground by the glory of God. I didn't hear Jesus saying to me, Michael, Michael, why aren't you following me? Or Nate, Nate, or whoever the case may be. Well, you know what? Our salvation in Jesus is no less spectacular and miraculous. So I want to now have three encouragements or practical applications for us. Because it's so easy to read this passage and say, yeah, well, that's Saul who became the Apostle Paul. I just work as an engineer. Or I just teach school. Or, or I'm a mechanic. Or I fix scratches on doors. Or I'm a IT guy. 
But see, we all were dead. And now we're alive. So here's encouragement number one. I want, I'll tell you, one of the joys of preparing a sermon is the fruit and not only the challenge as we get convicted, you know, we pastors, but also the fresh marvel and encouragement. So my first encouragement point is this. Let's rejoice in the love, mercy, and sovereignty of God in our salvation. Let's marvel at it this morning. See, here we see the deep love of our sovereign God for lost sinners. We don't go looking for Jesus. Praise God, the Lord comes looking for us. Remember what Jesus said to his disciples, John chapter 6. He said, no one comes to the Father. He said, no one, actually, no one comes to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. The Lord ordained this divine encounter for Saul to reveal himself to him. As I said, it rocks Saul's world, leading to salvation in Christ. But see, the Lord did the same for us. I love this quote from the Preaching the Word commentary. It says this, Christ is always the initiator. He brings us to our knees, acknowledging how desperately we need him. Saul's encounter with Jesus reminds us of the mysterious yet glorious doctrines of grace. Remember Ephesians chapter 1. Paul says to the church at Ephesus, he says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. So here's a question for all of us this morning, asking myself first, are you and I rejoicing in God's mysterious and great sovereign love for us? Are we rejoicing in that? That like as God went after Saul, he went after us. See, let's rejoice in the reality and remember that in our salvation, God was the initiator. That God chose us, chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world and drew us to himself. I couldn't help but think back. I'm, I'm going to try to use self-control, lest I get on my microbial salvation story. I was a senior in high school, running away from God. Now, for those of you younger in the room, bear with me. It was 1977, okay? Yes, we had electricity, and again, no, Lincoln was not president then, just to be clear. But here's the thing. I was mocking Christians. I remember some classmates. Hey, Michael, do you know Jesus? I was mocking. And this last couple months of my senior year, I met a classmate. I had a senior class of 660-some people. There were students that graduated I never even met, to be honest with you. Graduation, they're in my class. But 
my last couple months of high school, I met this student who shared with me Jesus. And again, yeah, right. And I was encouraged by my classmate. Have you ever read the Bible? I said, no. Have, well, you should read the Bible. So I went to the local mall, Oakdale Mall in Johnson City, New York. I know that means a lot to all of you. But Oakdale Mall, I went into Walden's bookstore to the religious section. I had never read the Bible in my life. And I found this paperback New Testament in Psalms. And my classmates said, you should read the Gospel of John. I'm like, okay, whatever. And as I started reading the Word, I started feeling the weight of my sin. And a few months later, this classmate's mom and dad they took me under their arm. They started sharing the gospel. They took me to the metropolis. I say that kiddingly. Of Montrose, Pennsylvania. Population, not much. But there was a Bible conference there. And this preacher got up and he preached the gospel. And I swear to you, I thought I was the only guy in the whole room. And right after that meeting, my classmate's dad said, Michael, would you like to believe and put your total trust in Jesus. As an 18-year-old boy, a month out of high school, actually it was July 16th, 1977. I still remember the night, sitting in the back seat of his 71 Plymouth Duster. I mean, I remember all these little minute details. But anyway, the Lord opened my heart and completely changed the course of my life. And I came home and I said, Dad, I got saved. And my dad's like, oh, no. <laughs> my son's become a Jesus whatever. And I just can't get over. I was on my own Damascus Road. And the sovereign king of kings reached down. I wasn't looking for Jesus. But he came looking for me and so too for all of us. Gosh, why did I do that story? Now I'm a mess. All right, here we go. <laughs> Sorry. So we all, once God-haters like Saul, have been born again, not because of our intellect or our status or our ability to figure out who Jesus was. No, our boast this morning is in our loving God who drew us to himself, opened our eyes and hearts to respond to his gospel and enabled us to turn from our sins and put our faith in trust. Let's marvel today at that. I love what J.I. Packer, I love J.I. Packer anyway. I hope, look forward to meeting him in glory. But J.I. Packer said this, no heart is too hard for the grace of God Paul was a bitter opponent of the gospel, but Christ laid his hand on Paul and Paul was broken down and born again. And, and as I've said, this should be amazing to us, Christ saved you. And that should be enough to convince you that he can save anyone. Thank God. Now, before I get to the second application, I wonder, are there any of you here today 
that sense the Spirit of God is tugging at your heart? Are you sitting there saying, I'm kind of resisting this. I feel like the Lord's saying, come to me. Do you sense God tugging at your heart this morning? Are you on your own Damascus road? On the path of sin and destruction? And maybe you feel your sin is so great, how could this loving God accept me? Well, you know what? He accepted and saved Saul. He can save you. See, Jesus loves the vilest of sinners. He lived a perfect, sinless life, died on the cross for the sins of his people, and three days later rose from the grave. Come to him today. Come to him. Turn from your sins. Put your faith in Christ. And if you need to know more about this, talk to Dan, talk to Mark, talk to Todd or or others here today. Because like Saul, you will be forgiven of your sins and experience new life in Christ. So that's the first application. Let's marvel at the love of our sovereign God for us. Second application, Jesus identifies with our suffering. Now, I know what some of you are facing. Many of you I don't. But I want the words that Jesus said to Saul to encourage us this morning. Remember, Jesus said, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. And what we see here is Jesus identifies with the suffering of his people. Saul is persecuting the church. He's arresting and punishing followers of Christ. And Christ says, you're persecuting me. You're hurting me, if you will. In other words... Where we can apply this to our lives is to realize if we are being persecuted, Jesus is being persecuted. If we are suffering, he weeps and suffers along with us. In other words, our Savior, whom the scriptures describe as a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, who wept at the tomb of Lazarus, remember that story, He completely identifies with us. He thoroughly understands all our suffering and is with us in all our pain and hardship. I love this verse in Hebrews 4. We do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. Did you hear that? We do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with us in our weaknesses. Jesus completely identifies with us in our suffering. Now, Dane Ortland put it this way. He said, in our pain, Jesus is pained. In our suffering, he feels the suffering as his own, even though it isn't in the sense that his heart is feelingly drawn into our distress. His human nature engages our troubles comprehensively. Now notice this. His is a love that cannot be held back when he sees his people in pain. 
I'm going to read that, that last sentence one more time. His is a love that cannot be held back when he sees his people in pain. Jesus gets it. Jesus completely understands whatever you're dealing with today. He gets it. So what suffering are you facing today? Is it grief, the deep sorrow over losing a loved one? Is it the pain of rejection or abandonment? Is it sickness or disease, pain or disability that affects all that you do? Whatever you are suffering, and this brings us great comfort this morning, whatever you are suffering, remember Jesus understands. He is with you. Share with him your heartache. Cry with him. No one understands and comforts like our God. See, without going into detail, I don't think that would necessarily serve you, but let me just say this. During my darkest times it's really hard to put into words how I have been encouraged by this reality my Savior gets it he completely understands and identifies with my pain see there have been times in my distress through my tears Asking God the why questions, which he doesn't have to answer. And usually he doesn't because his ways are higher than our ways, right? But through the tears, knowing that God, you know everything about this. That you understand completely that you are with me. This has brought me immeasurable comfort. He gets it. He completely understands. See, our risen lamb Jesus, who is now, as Saul experienced, is now at the right hand of God the Father, interceding for us. He is completely aware and deeply cares about all that is happening to each and every one of us. So let's draw near to him in our suffering. He is, as I said a moment ago, the God of all comfort. So that's encouragement too. First, again, just tying in these applications. First encouragement, marvel at your salvation. Second encouragement, our Savior fully understands all your suffering. And then finally, third application. I could have done about 12, by the way, but Mark said that you guys wanted to all have lunch before one, so I'm not doing it. Plus, I have to head back to Westminster. But third encouragement, Jesus saves us to bring him glory. Or to say it another way, Jesus saves us to now, as redeemed sinners, to exalt his name. See, did you notice what the risen Savior said uh, after Saul heard his voice? He said, after, he, after Saul said, who are you, Lord? He said, I'm Jesus whom you're persecuting. And then notice what he says. He says, but rise, enter the city. And then he said, and you will be told what you are to do. And later in Acts 9, after Ananias, 
We didn't have time to get into it today, but God speaks to Ananias, and Ananias bravely comes to see Saul of Tarsus, who's now become a Christian. And, and it becomes clear then to Saul, and Ananias communicates this, as I recall. He said, Saul is, he said, he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. In other words, I have saved Saul, going to make him the apostle Paul, and I have work for him to do in my kingdom. He's going to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. And then, of course, as we read the book of Acts, really the book of Acts kind of takes a turn now, and it becomes much more about Saul, the Apostle Paul, and all the incredible things he did. See, Saul's salvation breathed a lifetime of service to make Jesus known, to exalt the Savior, to glorify Christ in all that he did. See, God didn't save Saul to give him a good life, though he had a good life with suffering. God saved Saul because he was now going to transform him. And again, as it says in Ephesians, making Saul his workmanship to do good works, to glorify God. And so too for us. See, God didn't forgive me of my sins to say, now, Mike Robel, you got your fire insurance. Have a great life. I'll see you in heaven. No. God saved me. He saved you because there's work to be done in the kingdom. And it's a mystery. God takes flawed men and women with our weaknesses and struggles, but he's given us gifts and talents and abilities, and he wants, his desire is to fan into flame those gifts and now use us as ambassadors in his kingdom. It's a mystery. I mean, my wife and I laugh about it. How did I become a pastor? I have, well, here I am, but it's this God's sovereign plan as it unfolds. See, because of the new life we've been given in Christ, we are now a part of God's mission in the world, specifically to exalt his name in Metro Denver because that's where you live. It's an amazing and great privilege. We get to participate, like Paul did, in the adventure of proclaiming the gospel and building the church, using our time, our gifts, our talents, our resources, not for ourselves as the primary focus, but to be used for God's glory. So here's a question. I'm really curious. I don't almost want to find out from Mark what you all were talking about at your men's retreat. But are we plugged in serving in the ministry of this local representation of the body of Christ, this church blessing and impacting lives for his glory? It's what God saved us for. And if not, I'd encourage you to talk to Mark or Scott. Todd, sorry. I looked at Todd and I thought, Scott, that's not a good sign. <laughs> Look to Mark. Talk to Todd. Talk to Dan. Say, how can I be more plugged in? Where do you see my gifting? Sorry about that, Todd. Um, because see, 
As pastors, our job description is to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. So be a part. Embrace this great adventure. See, it's just such a privilege to serve the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Now, how do these amazing events conclude for Saul? Well, he doesn't start out as a powerhouse. His life of gospel ministry begins in weakness because it says at the end of this passage, he's blinded. He's led by the hand and, and brought to Damascus. And for three days, he, he doesn't see and he doesn't eat or drink. But out of this part or this position of weakness, Ananias, you can read ahead, visits him. Saul's sight is restored and his ministry adventure begins. An amazing life live for the glory of God. So if the worship team could come up, I'm going to wrap up now. Today we've seen the wickedness of Saul and how our sovereign Lord saved him, transforming him into the Apostle Paul, a man who lived his life testifying to the power of Jesus Christ and the gospel. And brothers and sisters, as I close, let's first remember and thank God for the incredible salvation we have in Christ and all that the Lord has done for us. And that like Saul, God has saved us and is transforming us to be His ambassadors in this world. Thank God for Jesus and all he has done for us. So this week, as we go forth into our jobs and wherever we may find ourselves, from hearts of gratitude and love for him, empowered by the Holy Spirit, let's live to exalt his name and glorify him in all we do. What a privilege. Amen? Amen. Thank you. Stand and sing in response.